fantastic. We needed to have that reminder not to worry. And the power of art in our society cannot be cannot be taken lightly because art is the language of the heart of a generation. It is. Art is the language. If you want to know what a generation is thinking, listen to their music, watch their art, how they spray paint and draw and all that kind of stuff. Look at the way they express themselves through the art. And it's good to know that there's a generation that still expresses itself with Christ in mind. Amen? So can we give God a praise one more time for a hopeful mind? I'm starting a new series called It's Amazing. Somebody shout, It's Amazing. Starting a new series called It's Amazing, and we're recapturing the amazement of God. Sometimes uh, I think we walk with God so much that we forget how good God's been to us. And every now and then, when life just kind of takes one of those lulls, we need to recapture how amazing God has been to us. God hasn't just been good. He's been amazing. I'm going to say that again. God has not just been good. He has been amazing. He has been beyond our ability to praise, our, beyond our ability to write about it, beyond our ability to speak on it. And if I screamed to the top of my lungs, if I took off running at the top speed of my ability, I still could not give God what he deserves as it relates to how amazing he has been. God is amazing. Amen? All right. So we're doing a series over the next five weeks. We're going to be talking about how amazing God has been. We'll be speaking about a different aspect of his amazement. Not necessarily that you forgot, but maybe the person sitting next to you forgot. All right? Not so much you. I'm worried about the guy next to you, the girl next to you. So, uh, so we're going to start our story in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul talking to the Corinthian church, and we'll begin at the first verse. If you got it, shout, I got it. It simply says this, therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received the mercy, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced the, the hidden things of shame, not walking in the craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of of God. In other words, what Paul is saying is that, you know, now that I recognize the weight of my ministry, I don't want to play with people's minds and conscience with it. He said, I won't deceive them and I won't have them running down some religious rat race, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to preach Jesus Christ because when Jesus Christ is preached, people's hearts are changed. Are you hearing what I'm saying? When Jesus is preached, people's hearts are changed. Verse 4, verse 5, or 3 rather, he says, but even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. I want you to keep your finger on verse 4 and, and circle it so that you can go back and study this verse. This is a mouthful. He said, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, what don't they believe? Lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, the gospel of the glory of Christ, the gospel of the glory of Christ. He said people will not believe the gospel of the glory of Christ, that Christ is the glory of God. He said people are not going to believe that. Who is the image of God should shine on them, verse 5. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, because there ain't no power in us. The power is in the Lord. And ourselves, your bondservants, for Jesus' sake. In other words, I don't ever want you to think that as your pastor or as your prophet or your man of God, that this thing is about me, but this thing is about Jesus. So Paul says that I preach you Jesus, Christ, and him crucified. He said, I don't preach myself. The only thing you need to know about me is that I'm a bondservant for Christ. He said, that's all you need to know about me is that I'm a bondservant for Christ. Verse 6. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts or shined that same light in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels 
that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. And we are hard-pressed on every side, yet we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. We're always caring about in the body and dying of the Lord Jesus. That the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our body. And the word of the Lord is blessed. I want you to find three people and say, the big trade-off. And when you get to that third person, when you get to that third person, I want you to look them in their face and say, he's got what you need. He's got what you need. He's got what you need. Father, in the name of Jesus, I do glorify you. I do give you the praise this morning. I do thank you so much that in the worship and in the dance and in the fellowship, you have been glorified. Now, Father, in the preaching, be glorified. Let your hand of anointing rest on this, your speaker, that the world will not see me, but they'll see you. Holy Spirit, empower me with your power to deliver a word that honors heaven and send an anointing that makes receiving the gospel even easier. It is participation between the pulpit and the pews. So anoint every person in a pew to hear what the Spirit of God is saying. And in this, Lord, our lives will never be the same when we leave this place. In Jesus' name, somebody shout amen. Amen. You can be seated in God's presence. Smile at somebody. Tell them, it's just church, man. It's just church, sister. It's just church. Say, it's all right to smile. It's just church. It's just church. Uh, this is, uh, the Corinthian letters are, uh, in our Christian Bible, they are two of the letters that are oftentimes and most, most of the times taught to the New Testament church uh, to help the church get a sense of balance and a sense of order about itself. It was the, what, it was the letters that Paul wrote, um, wrote to the Corinthian church that we, in the modern day church, we pattern a lot of the way we do our service structure based off of the Corinthian church. And if you understand the disposition and the psychological place that Paul is in, um, it will bring the scriptures alive to you even more. Uh, so what is important if we are going to understand the Corinthian letters uh, to the church, if we're going to understand these letters, it's, it's important that we don't just read the text, but we understand something about the context. I mean, context is important. Somebody shout, it's important. Context is, context is important. Uh, context are the circumstances that create or form a setting so that your thought, your idea, your statement can be more clearly understood. If I can form the setting for you, then you can more clearly understand. That's what context is. And, and for all of my Bible studiers and readers, um, it's not good enough to just take a verse out and say I have, I have revelation on the text because it is not fully understood unless you know the context. You cannot judge a text without understanding its context. You should look to your neighbor to your left or to your right and tell them, be careful how you judge me until you know a little bit more about me. Don't judge my text. Don't judge my text until you understand my context. And the church said, so we need to express a little bit about the context of 1 Corinthians. It's important that we understand a tad bit about the context and the, the, uh, the, the story that is centered around 1 and 2 Corinthians. Because 1 and 2 Corinthians really are not the 1 and 2 letters. They're really the 2nd and the 4th letters. If you understand something about the context, Paul is not even in Corinth when he writes this. He's in Ephesus where we get the, the, the church at Ephesians, the book Ephesians, the letter written to those people in Ephesus. He, he goes in previous, uh, he, is, he is somewhere in the third year of his time in Ephesus when he writes this letter. But if you fast forward it, you have to know that he spent 18 months in Corinth. God put it on his heart to build a church in Corinth, not build a building, to build people in Corinth. If you remember, the gospel is relatively new. Jesus has died on the cross some 40 years later. Now he has moved his hands on Paul. And Paul's job is to be the apostle to the Gentiles. 
while Peter and those guys preached the gospel to the Jewish community, Paul's job was to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. So God had to move him out of Jerusalem into what we call Asia, Asia Minor, the Greek cities, the Grecian cities. And this is why his letters are in places like Ephesus, Corinth, places along that line. This is Paul's job because those are not Jewish townships. They are, um, they are Gentile townships. Gentile just simply means non-Jewish. And God sends him to these places and he spends 18 months building people, helping them understand that God, that Jesus Christ is the son of God and that you can be saved by repenting of your sins through Jesus Christ. There is salvation in Jesus Christ. The interesting thing is that the wisdom of God has a, has a testimony of God from the beginning of creation, even to this moment, which means that almost every major religion that is not built off of foolishness, because there are some things that we call religion that's about as intelligent as you talking to that chair expecting it to talk back to you. But he, takes, he sends him to a place because the way that God operates is that God puts a seed and a thread of his story in every major religion that the world has ever experienced. So in almost every major religion that the world has experienced, there will be a story of a first sin. There will be a story of a wrath of God. There will be a story of something that comes to redeem it. And whatever it is that comes to redeem it would have had to sacrifice its life in order for it to be redeemed. This is in every major religion, in every major pagan religion. There was an idea of sacrifice. That's why pagan religions sacrificed. They sacrificed in the idea that the appeasement of whatever power they believed in, the only thing that could appease it would be the sacrificial death of something, an animal, and in worst cases, a human being. This, this story is not new to the Christian world. Because what God intended to do is he intended to work through every religious specter in this world and reveal himself through their experience that Jesus is the Lord and God is the only God that is of this universe. So God doesn't have to move outside of you in order to get his testimony for you to you. God, can, God doesn't have to use your grandmother and don't have to, he doesn't have to use the story of your pastor or the story of the person next to you. God will work his way through your story to reveal himself to you. And most of us that, that stay with Christ met Christ through our own story, not through somebody else's. And this is the way that God operates. So he, takes, he, tells, Mo, uh, he tells Paul that I want you to go to Corinth and I want you to spend some time telling the people in Corinth about me. Corinth's religious history was pagan. They were pagan followers and pagan worshipers. And this is what God did. This is how God moved. He told Paul that I want you to go and work within the direction and the realm of the pagan religion and show them that the God they're looking for was in the person of Christ Jesus. And he said that transformation will take place and deliverance will take place when this happened. Paul spends 18 months and, he le and people receive this gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul feels empowered because he was the person that brought them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul then goes on his, his journeys and he travels and he sends back word to find out how is Corinth doing. And Corinth starts to get off track because Corinth had a problem with the behaviors that followed Christ and the behaviors that followed their pagan gods because they were more familiar with how to be pagan than how to be Christian. So they kind of mixed their paganism with their Christianity. And the problem with that is that that works for paganism, but it don't work for Jesus. So Paul sends the first letter. Somebody shout the first letter. Paul sends the first letter, and he tries to explain to them that this, that is problematic, that you cannot do this and that and God be okay with it. 
that God said there will be no other gods before me, that you should worship no other gods other than me. He said that that's the foundational and the first commandment, that I'm not sharing my glory, I'm not sharing my crown, I'm not sharing my life. I am God and I am God by myself. And while other religions will be happy sharing their throne with me, it's only because they shouldn't be on the throne, which is why they're satisfied with sharing it with me. But I'm where I'm supposed to be, on the throne. And I don't want anything or anybody where I'm supposed to be. So there will be no gods before me. He sends that message and, they, and he tells them, y'all got to clean up some stuff. That's the first letter. They didn't like that letter very much. They, they responded back to Paul. Very, they were upset with Paul. That, How dare you come down on us the way you came down on us. After all, we're a young church. And a and matter of fact, who are you? Who are you that you get to, you come and spend a year with us. Now you get to tell us who we, uh, the way we should be doing our life. You have not qualified, Paul, to be able to chastise us. That's why, uh, I think that's one of the reasons why uh, our millennial generation really does struggle with, uh, with, with uh, we struggle with critique and criticism because we never spend enough time for anybody to qualify themselves to critique or criticize us. Because critique and criticism is something that has to be earned. And you've got to be able to spend time with people to qualify yourself before you chastise them. So you don't get to just roll up on my child and chastise my child if my child or me don't know you. But if you've spent time and you've qualified yourself and you're honored and we are respected, then, then there's more leeway into chastisement when there's relationship. They told Paul that, Paul, you don't have the relationship to chastise us. And Paul now writes the first Corinthians that we know. It's the second letter, but it's the first Corinthian letter. If you read 1 Corinthians, he refers to this first letter in chapter 5. He says, I tried to tell you guys how to do this thing right. And then you chastised me for chastising you. I'm the senior. That's why if you read through the gospel of the 1 Corinthians, he starts to lay down his credentials that I'm the man. I am the authority. I am the one that God called to come and bring the gospel to you. And you should be honoring what I've told you because God sent me to you. I am the apostle. I am the one he knocked off the horse and blinded my eyes and led me into the city and was not able to see again until the man of God spoke over my life. It was me that God took to the backside of the desert for over 40 years. They say for, for, for some amount of years and Jesus himself spoke to me. You have to listen to me because I had an experience with God. And this is what Paul, and, uh, and this was what the first letter, if you read Corinthians number one, Paul is really fussy in Corinthians one. He's really bossy. He's trying to one up. He OG in them in, in Corinthians chapter one, uh, uh, first Corinthians rather. First Corinthians, the second letter. The problem is it was so bad that Paul had to cut his trip in Ephesus short and go and see about them in Corinth just to try to make sure that the peace was better. And he comes back and he sends Titus. And the same thing happened. Titus now brings the, is the bearer of the third letter that, we're, that we have no privy of. But it's the third letter in which Paul tries to express and explain to them. He tries to talk to them and he really comes down on them to the degree that he says in 2 Corinthians that I sent you a letter with Tears. He says, in other words, what he started to do is there starts to be a transition in Paul. You'll never understand 2 Corinthians if you don't understand what helped these first three letters happen. Paul now has a transition. He is expecting a transition to people he has not qualified to chastise. But when he realizes that maybe I've come down on them without qualifying myself to them, he starts to transition. And in the third letter that he sends that we do not have, Paul says, I sent this letter in tears. In other words, he says, I sent the letter where now I have compassion on you. I sent a letter instead of me judging you, I feel for you that maybe I blew it as being the apostle and being the man that God called to this house. Maybe I blew it by trying to get you to respect my title before I humbled myself and allowed you to respect my person. 
He said, so now, because I forced you to honor my title, instead of being a part of the journey of the person, he says, you are about to miss out on the greatest thing God has given this world, not because God isn't wonderful and he doesn't love you, but because the messenger that God brought to bring you Jesus, you don't want to have anything to do with him. And when the world starts rejecting God's messengers, Y'all better hear what I'm trying to tell you. See, you have been a messenger of God sent to this world on behalf of God. And the only way that God, that the world will hear about God is through the messengers that have been sent by God. The message is amazing. But if the world don't want to deal with the stuck-up, arrogant messengers that call themselves the church of the living God, then the gospel will be hid to them. And Paul says, I realized that the problem wasn't them, the problem was me. I realized that I wasn't as flexible as I needed to be. I realized that I wanted them to respect me, and I didn't do what quantified and qualified respect from me. He says, so I wrote, he wrote the third letter, and he sent the third letter with tears and with groanings, saying, I, I, I got something, and it's not that I want to boss you because I've got it. I want to give it to you because it's going to radically change your life. It's my assignment, and it's going to bless your life. And, th and sometimes when you know that some people that are around you are going to miss out on the best moments and seasons of their life if their eyes don't open, it will bring a kind of despair and pain to you because you know what they are about to forfeit. Am I talking to anybody that's forfeited something in here? Am I talking to anybody that knows somebody that if they don't get their stuff together, they're going to forfeit the season that God is trying to bless them. They're going to forfeit the people God sent to them. They're going to forfeit the gift that God gave them. And this is why Paul writes, he's in tears now. Now he's like, man, I, I, I blew it in those first three letters. I blew it when I came to see you the second time. Will you guys forgive me? And listen, the gospel is for you. The power is in you. And I'll be patient with you as you learn the ways of God and learn the ways of, of, the, of, of the faith. I'll be patient if you'll understand. And he sent the letter, and then Titus goes to check on the church of Corinth, and Titus comes back with good news to Paul. He said, Paul, it worked. He said, Apostle, they have received what you've been saying. This is the context that comes up to chapter 4, or to, uh, to 2 Corinthians. He says, it worked. He said, they are happy about the gospel. They are receiving the gospel with gladness. And they are walking with God because God is being more patient with them than you've been. And this is how we get 2 Corinthians, the second letter, which is actually the fourth letter that Paul sent to the Corinth church. The fourth letter that Paul sends to the Corinth church is actually what we call 2 Corinthians. And 2 Corinthians is Paul now trying to explain to them that, that now that we are reconciled and we're a good place, I, I realize where I blew it and I'm about to write you a letter to encourage you, but my premise and my pretext is going to be different than my premise and my pretext was the last time. Is there anybody that's got some situations in your life where you need to change the premise and the pretext? You haven't gotten the results you wanted, and maybe it's not them. Maybe it's the way you approached it. And uh, am I speaking to anybody that can talk, talk real to themselves and say that sometimes it wasn't them, it was me? That sometimes it, they didn't blow it, I blew it. That I had a good message, but I was a flawed messenger. I, am I preaching to anybody in here? Paul, is, uh, Paul helped them understand. He says, I want you to see something. Paul is trying to tell them. He says, I want you to understand that I'm going to fix in 2 Corinthians what I blew in 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians, I spent a lot of time talking about me. And this time, I'm not going to talk about me because I don't transform. God transforms. I'm not going to spend my time talking about my apostleship and my authority as a Greek and my authority as a Hebrew and my authority as being who called by God. I am the woman of the hour and I am the man of the hour. He said, this letter, I'm not going to talk about I. I'm going to talk about him. Because if your life is going to change, it's not going to be because of how good your pastor preached. And it's not going to be because how well the worship team sings. And it won't be because of how well the mimers mime. It's going to be because there's an encounter between you and the real transformer who is not your pastor. His name is Jesus. He said, this time it ain't about me. It's going to be about him. Somebody shout, it's about him. Say that loud. Shout, it's about him. 
He said, I'm not going to preach a gospel that look, puts me in the center. I'm not going to sing a song that glorifies my hurt and my pain. I'm not going to preach a message that makes you see what's broken as opposed to see the man that can fix it. He says, this time, that's what I did last time. This time, it ain't about me. It's going to be about him because in him is a power to shift and transform and turn around. And as much as I love you, I can't turn your heart around. As much as I sacrifice to you. I can't change your life, but I do know a God that if you let him in, he can transform all the places I can observe. And he said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. Somebody shout, lift him up. This is critical that we understand is that Paul is now starting to understand that this can't be about me. So now what he starts to do in 2 Corinthians in the first chapter, he starts to discuss about his suffering. Because you'll never draw men and women to God if you're not willing to talk about how broken you've been. I want to talk to all y'all stuck up saints, all the saints that want people to think you always showed up like this. You always had it all together. Your hair's always been nice and your nails be done. No, that's not what draws men to Christ because we look at that and say, I can't be that. I need the God that can come get me when my nails are broken. I need the God to come get me when I can't afford a fresh cut. I need the God that's going to love me when my clothes are raggedy. If, there, if you got that story, I want to know that God because that's the God that took you out of that and made this who is this man he starts to tell him in the first chapter he said I had a problem all you got to do is read Acts chapter 19 when I was in Exodus I had lack when I was in Exodus they persecuted me for what I'm trying to tell you he said but I'm here writing you a letter not because of me but this time we're going to talk about him and now he's not just talking about himself he's including the people in the conversation he wants them to see that man I was broken but God lifted me up I was hurting but God lifted me up I was in a suffering season but God lifted me up and I want to tell somebody in this room that's in a suffering season that God can lift you up God help me in this place I said God can lift you up if your head is bowed lift up your head oh ye gates and be ye lifted up ye everlasting doors because the king of glory wants to come in and he will lift you up God help me in this place I need somebody that's been through a season of suffering that has made it out to open up your mouth and give God a shout somebody shout I made it he says, I need you to understand I'm not bringing my apostolate to this conversation. I'm bringing my brokenness to this apostolate, uh, to this conversation. And thanks be to God that I was broken or I'll never know that he could be my healer. Hey, shot. He said, thank God for my lack or I'll never know that he could supply all of my needs. Thank God for my mute or I'll never know how important it is for me to have a praise. I need somebody that had to lose something in order to gain something to give God a shout of praise this morning. Watch what he said. He says in the second chapter, he starts to talk about a triumph in Christ, not a triumph by his own will and his own volition, not a triumph because he made up his own strategy and followed it to a T, not a triumph because he rose and grinded. The grind is overrated anyway. He said that, that this triumph happened in Christ Jesus. In fact, the 14th verse, he starts to say that I don't even want to give myself credit for how I got here, but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph my wisdom didn't lead me in this wind my intellect didn't lead me in this wind my pulchritude and dope flyness didn't lead me to this wind but Jesus led me to this wind he said that God led me to triumph in Christ and through us he diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place for we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Somebody shout, I'm the fragrance. 
You will not understand this. He will, you will not understand 2 Corinthians if you don't understand that Paul was a guy that used to walk around with the smug attitude that he has done it right in order to get to this point. Even when he was saved and preaching the gospel, Paul used to take his collar off and say, this is me, and you've got to respect me. But by the time he gets to 2 Corinthians, he leaves his collar in the, in the closet and says that the only reason I'm here is because God saw fit for me to be here. And in this letter, I'm not talking about me. I'm going to talk about how God got the fragrance out of me because inside of me is the aroma of victory. But in order for the world to get the aroma of victory, the vessel has to be broken for the aroma to come out. You've got to understand the imagery that he's using here. The imagery that he's using is that of the Roman army. Even though he's on Greek ground, the Romans uh, uh, had conquered all of the known European territory at that time. And the, when the Romans would go to a territory and win, they didn't have a radio system where they could tell everybody, you are now under Roman rule, and from here on out, we will all follow the Caesar. Amen to God, give him the glory. Sometimes, he make me want to run. Go ahead and let him run. He's all right. He said, he's all right. Y'all just find his mama, though. Find his mama. Find his mama, though. Come on, we don't need no lawsuits at the city. Amen. 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 So, so <laughs> y'all pray for my security. They just let a four-year-old roll up on me, and then nobody move. <laughs> did nobody move. The devil is a lie. I fear for my life now. So, watch this now. Watch this now. Here's how this works. Here's how this works. Because the Roman army had the, had the territory, and we're talking about the first century. So there is no way for them to radio and tell everybody we're now under Roman rule and we'll honor the Caesar. There is no way for them to go on national television and have an all-nation uh, 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 all broadcast that the Caesar is about to address the nation. That's not the way it worked. What they would do is they would go to all of the temples, whether they were pagan or whether they were synagogues now known as Christian temples. They would go into the places where they offered sacrifice and they would put heaps and bales of incense on the sacrifice and they would tell them to burn the sacrifice at the to burn the incense at the same time and a cloud of smoke would come over the city and everybody in the city could smell the fragrance of the incense that was being burnt and that was the signal to the world that if you're following Rome you have won and it also was a signal to the enemies of Rome that you've lost. And God says, Paul says that God is doing the same thing in us, is that God is allowing our lives to be the fragrance of heaven to the world. He said, but in order for the world to get the fragrance, I've got to peel back the layers of what has to be fragrant. I told first service, my wife bought me some cologne that she likes. And isn't that, isn't that awesome? She bought cologne she likes for me. And, and <laughs> amen. So I just thought about that. Yeah, so she bought, she bought cologne that she likes for me. And the thing is that with cologne, it's about the fragrance, not about the box or the liquid. But it came in a beautiful box. And I looked at the box, but I could not smell the fragrance. So I had to take the first layer of plastic off the box. I put the box past my nose thinking maybe I could catch a whiff of it without having to open the whole thing but I could not smell the fragrance so I had to take off the box level the second layer of the box and I pushed it around my nose to see perhaps I could smell the fragrance I could not smell the fragrance so I had to take the little plastic off of the top of the fragrance and even though I had a good looking bottle I could not smell the fragrance watch this until I started peeling off the layers that was covering the the reason for what I needed out of the box. God is trying to let you understand that some of the pain that you have in your life is not because he don't like you. He's just trying to get to the fragrance that's inside of you. And you've got to pull back the layers of your hurt and pull back the layers of your embarrassment. And pull, Am I preaching to any 
anybody that God is pulling back some layers of your pride and pull back the layer. Watch this. Because when I got to the aroma, I was able to press it and the aroma came out. And the aroma proved to me that my wife got real good taste. That's what it proved to me. But let me tell you what the aroma proves to the world is that every time the world sees that you're broken but you're still standing, it's because they can smell the aroma of God that has broken you to get the perfume out of your life. And it gives the same message to the devil. To us, I celebrate with you because I smell your fragrance and we win again. But to the devil in your life, he smells that same fragrance and say, I lost again. I don't know about you, but I'm ready to give the devil a headache in 2019. I, I need somebody that's ready to give the devil a headache. I need somebody that's ready to let God get the fragrance out of their life. Raise your voice and give God a shout. Every time the devil smells your, the joy of your salvation, he gets angry. Every time he walks into your place thinking he's going to destroy you and he smells victory. Tell your neighbor, you smell like victory. That's what you smell like. You smell like, you smell like the problem didn't beat you. You smell like the issue didn't make you lose your mind. You smell like what hurt you made you stronger. You smell like victory. I need some victorious folks to raise your voice and give God a shout of yes, yes. He said, I didn't do that. He said, God did that. By the time we get to chapter three, he is now speaking about the power of the spirit and not the power of the letter. He is now in this particular chapter trying to help them understand that this is not about me. It's really about God. And he has to use Moses because he figured they would understand that if I use Moses as the metaphor, then they would understand what I'm trying to tell them. So he talks to them about the letter of the law and the power of the spirit because Moses represents the letter of the law. This is why Moses is oftentimes pictured with us with having the Ten Commandments in his hand. The rules and the laws of how to do faith right are in the hands of Moses. But the spirit is seen in the logic of Jesus Christ. So now Jesus represents the spirit and Moses represents the law. And he's trying to help them understand that there aren't enough rules in the world for you to follow to make God pleased with you. And he's saying that I know I gave you a bunch of rules in those first three letters, but you can tear those rules up because God God will teach you how to do the rules if you accept the Christ. God, I want to talk to somebody that is saying, you know what? I can't be saved like she saved. And I can't walk with Jesus the way she walked with Jesus. He more sanctified than I know how to be. She's so put together. I can't be that kind of water with Jesus. The devil is a lie. I'm not saved by the letter. I'm saved by the spirit. I need somebody in this place that knows that the Spirit of God has done a number in your life to give God a shout of praise. I tried to follow the rules of the church and the rules of the church just made me frustrated. I tried to follow the rules of the church and the rules of the church made me feel further away from God. So I put down the rules and I picked up my Jesus and because the spirit is stronger than the letter, I gotta praise even though I'm not perfect. I need an imperfect praiser to open up your mouth and give God a prayer. I need somebody that missed a rule of three, that couldn't follow everything. Your dress too short and your sleeves are too pulled up, but you still gotta worship because it's not about the rule, it's about the reign of your God. Okay, 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 okay. Now, now, now we understand that he's trying to give the context because he wants us to understand that this is not about me. And he's laying the foundation to help us understand that this is not about me. Is that I know over the past three letters, 
I made this seem like it was about me, but it's not about me. In fact, it's about the Jesus Christ that we preach because the Jesus Christ that we preach has done some things that I want you to be able to rejoice about. I don't want anybody to leave this room today feeling like you've got to walk this journey alone because God has been too amazing to you for you to, if you're just going to be honest, I need an honest saint or two to give God a praise because the reality of walking with God is that I could not be here if it had not been for the Lord by my I need somebody that's honest enough to say that. I know you got everybody believing that it's because you're smart and you made some good decisions, but the reality is if it had not been for the Lord by your side, if it, I, I, I said I need somebody that can tell the truth, that if it had not been for the Lord that was on my side, where would you be? Where would you be? Where would you be? So watch what he starts to tell them in chapter 4. He starts to pick up the numbers and pick up the conversation in chapter 4. He said, therefore, I got this ministry now that I received by the mercy of God so that you don't lose heart. He says, now, I, you were losing heart when I was preaching myself. You were losing heart when I wanted you to bring all the offerings to me. You were losing heart when I was the subject of all the sermons. You were losing heart when your hurt was the subject of all your worship songs. You were losing heart when you didn't talk about Jesus. You just danced about your pain. You were losing heart. That's why we're always dancing and shouting because there is no deliverance and breakthrough. God, help me in this place. If there was deliverance and breakthrough, then we could sit and absorb the, the power of God. But sometimes we have to to be emotional because we have no real substance of the knowledge of who God is. But this is the season where God is going to put spirit with your emotion. God, help me in this place. Yeah. I, I, I didn't even feel like going there, but I'm going to go there anyhow. Is that some of us have traded, stay with me before you say amen, you better listen to everything I say. Some of us have traded alcohol for the church. Some of us have traded drugs for the church. Some of us have traded pornography for the church. Stay with me now. Is that we went to the alcohol thinking that the alcohol could deliver us and heal us. And we went to pornography thinking it would make us feel better. And we went to the drugs thinking we would be better. But the reality is that we had to go get more of it in order for us to feel better. And some of us have just traded church for the alcohol. We don't want God. We just want our fix. So we keep coming to get our fix and we get our fix with dancing and we get our fix with shouting and we get our fix with prophecy and we get our fix with laying on the hands and we get our fix with good preaching and we got our fix but we don't have God. Oh God, I said God is going to shift some things in this season where when you come into this house, you're not going to want your fix. You're going to want the fix, sir. I need somebody to raise your voice and give God a praise. I said give God a praise. Watch, watch now. And, I, and I'm almost finished with you, but, but I need you to see where he's trying to go with this. He has to keep the conversation of Moses so that Moses can be now the metaphor that he uses throughout the rest of his discourse. He says to them that I preached me before, but by the time he gets to verse 5 in chapter 4, he says that I do not preach myself, but Jesus Christ the Lord and ourselves as your bond servants. Verse 6, he says, for it is the God who has commanded the light to shine out of darkness who has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge. Somebody shout light of the knowledge. Say that again, shout light of the knowledge. This means Paul is saying that I'm about to put you up on game about the knowledge that God is trying to give to you. He's to remember, he's talking to the Corinth church. He remember his heart broken over the fact that they have not been able to receive this great gift. And he has realized that he is the reason why they're not receiving the gift. So he tries a different strategy and he puts the weight of their understanding on God, not on his ability to explain. Help me, Holy Ghost. And he's saying in 
verse 6 that the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness is the one that shined himself on our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. In other words, he is trying to help them understand that what I could not get across to you is that this Jesus that y'all keep dancing and shouting about, he is not just who you made him to be. You have made him to be your friend. You have made him to be your homie. You have made him to be your Santa Claus. That's who you made Jesus to be. But he's more than just that. He is in fact, he is the glory of God who is in Christ. Now, that might not mean anything to you, but I'm going to help it make some sense to you real quick. He tells them in verse 6 that, the, that the, the knowledge that I want you to have is that knowledge that the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, that the glory of God is Jesus. That still doesn't make sense to you yet. So I'm going to use the imagery that Paul, that Paul uses. He uses the imagery of Moses. Do you remember Moses? When Moses came down from the bottom of the mountain and he saw the children of Israel dancing and shouting to a pagan God, he threw down the Ten Commandments on the ground and broke them. God called him back up to the hill. He went back up to the hill of the mountain and he spent time with God. The Bible says that he began to pick acts out the, the Ten Commandments on his own. He comes back down with the second set of commandments. And the Bible says that the children of God were at the bottom of the hill. And when they saw Moses, Moses' face was shining so much to the degree that they could not see his face. He had in his hands the Ten Commandments, but he had the radiance of having spent time with God. He had in his hands the Ten Commandments, but he had the radiance of having spent time with God. You could not see his face, but you could see his radiance. Are you hearing what I'm saying? The radiance is different than Moses, but the radiance is connected to Moses because the radiance represents the glory of Moses. So now the glory that you can see is representative of the Moses that you cannot see because you cannot get to Moses without going through the that glory cloud. Now Moses is a type of God and the glory is a type of Christ and God who is Moses who is upholding of the law and Jesus who is the glory or the shining that is on Moses and the same way that they could not see Moses no man can see God and uh, uh, God help me in this place no man can see God the Bible says unless he, they die which means when Jesus tried to tell his disciples that when you see me, you do see God. When you see that glory, you do see God. You can't pierce through the glory and get to God. You've got to accept the glory and know that behind the glory that there is a God. God, help me in this place. Is this helping anybody in here right quick? I'm going to make it make some sense. Just stay with me for a second while I teach this thing real quick. Moses now is Moses representing God. The light that shines is the glory of God that represents the Christ. Now what happened with the children of Israel is that they wanted to be able to handle Moses and because they could not handle his brightness, they put a sackcloth over his face and they began to talk to him and deal with him with a bag over his face. The, and every time they took the bag off, his glory would shine. And when they needed to control him and deal with him, they put the bag over him. And when he was ready to walk in the power of God, they take the bag off. But when they wanted to understand him, they put the bag back on. And you've got to watch people that can't handle how God has blessed you, who want to put limits on you and put a bag on. Am I preaching to anybody? that's got folks around you that you that they can handle you while you broke but can't handle you in your blessed life I wish I was preaching to somebody in here I speak this over your life that in 2019 you find friends that can handle you blessed I need you to raise your voice and give they can handle you as long as you broke and need $5 from them. But I speak life over you that God is going to send you a tribe that can handle you blessed, that can handle you not needing a handout, that can love you when you're at your best instead of needing you at your worst. Stay with me now because I need you to understand. 
So in 2 Corinthians 4 and 6, he says that this is what God commanded, the light to shine out of darkness, who has shined a light in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge. Of what knowledge are you about to give me, Paul? That the glory of God is in the face of Jesus Christ. So how are you telling me who is this Jesus that came into the world to save us? Who is this Jesus that came into the universe to die for us? He is not just a man. He is not just a prophet. He asked Peter, who do men say that I am? They said you're a prophet. They said you're a liar. God said they're wrong. But who do you say that I am? He said, I say that you are the Christ. And what does that mean? And he tried to tell you in John 1 and 14 that the word in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. And we struggle with the word being Jesus. So now the Bible says that in the beginning was Jesus and Jesus was with God and Jesus was God. That doesn't make sense that Jesus could be with God and be was God. But he came down to earth and he was like a man. But 14 says, and the word became flesh and he dwelt among us. Watch this. And we beheld him. That word beheld means understood him. The only way we could understand him, watch this, is as his glory. This is John 1 and 14. We understood him as his glory, as God's glory, as the thing that is shining on Moses, we understood him as that. And the only way we could understand his glory is we had to perceive him as being an only begotten son. God, help me in this place. He said the only way you are going to understand who Jesus is is that Jesus is the glory of God. And when we saw him, we did not see God shining. We saw an only begotten son. And the only way we can interpret how amazing Jesus is is to call him the son of God but in the beginning he is God God help me in this place uh, uh, y'all not ready for me this morning I'm going to talk to this group over here I said in the beginning he is God and I'm not just preaching to my friend and I'm not just praising the, 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 the statue of the savior when I call on Jesus I call on God and he said that I want you to understand is that I was telling you about myself before and there was no transfer, transformation. But now I'm going to tell you about God who is in Christ and your life is going to turn upside down. And with this glory, somebody shout glory. With this glory, the Bible says, if you go to verse 7, he says that this treasure I have now put in an earthen vessel, that the excellency will not be of man, but it'll be of God that is in heaven. What treasure are you talking about? The treasure of the God who is in Christ. Well, who is this God that is in Christ? The one that spoke out of nothing and created something. The one that said, let there be light when there was darkness. The one that numbered the same before he threw it on the earth. The one that formulated the stars before he tossed them in the sky. The one that looked at the coordinates of the universe and said you'll be this high and this deep. The one that looked at the circumference of the earth and told it to spin around the sun. The one that told the sun you gotta keep shining if there's gonna be life on this planet. I wish I was talking to somebody in this room that knew this God I was talking about. I dare you to raise your voice and give God a shout of praise that I have that treasure. God, I, you missed that. You have that treasure. Somebody shout, I got that treasure. I got that treasure in this earthen vessel. I've got the power of God inside of me. Greater is he that is in me than he that is. I need you to raise your voice and give God a shout of praise because you got the power of God on the inside can I take five more of your minutes I want to get you home but can I take five more of your minutes the Bible said that you've got this treasure in an earthen vessel the earthen vessel is an interesting thing 
Because when he speaks about an earthen vessel, he's literally talking about our bodies. The bodies that is made from jars, of made from the clay, from the ground. But, but he uses the imagery of having an earthen vessel that God would take the treasure and put it in earthen vessels. The reason why that would be confusing to the Corinthian church is because at the ancient days, they used to hide their treasures inside of earthen vessels. And then they would hide them somewhere inside of the house. So you're telling me, Paul, that God wants his glory to be revealed to all the earth through Christ Jesus. You're his ambassador, and God has taken the spirit of Jesus and put it inside of us. But, and we are the earthen vessel that holds this treasure. But in our world, the treasures are oftentimes hidden and not revealed. So why would God put his power in us just to hide us away from the world? He says, you're looking at it the wrong way. You're bringing godly stuff. You're bringing pagan stuff in the godly realities. I don't want you to think about the way you would do it. I want you to think about the way God's going to do it. God, help me in this place. I, that ought to have freed somebody just by me saying, stop looking at how you would do it and release yourself to trust that God's going to do it. He said, I want you to look at the way I handle it. He said, because I'm the one that when you talk about earthen vessels, I took Jeremiah down to a potter's house. I said, look at Jeremiah, go down to the potter's house. And when you get to the potter's house, go into the back room and tell me what you see. He said, God, I see earthen vessels. He said, tell me about these earthen vessels that you see. And Jeremiah said, well, some of them look marred and others of them are cracked. Others of them have holes in it. He says, I don't understand why you've got me looking at broken, marred, and messed up stuff. God said, Jeremiah, I am the potter. He says, you are the clay. He says, I get that you're the potter and I'm the clay. But if I'm one of these broken pieces of clay, you haven't really done a miracle. He said, go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And I want you to tell him that I put a treasure in that marred earthen vessel. Watch this. So that the excellency might be of God and not of some of y'all are going to get this tomorrow. Uh, some of you get this tomorrow. Is that when God got ready to show the devil how strong he was, he didn't take something that was put together well. He took somebody that was as messed up as you, that was as downtrodden as you, that was as jacked up as you, and he turned your messed around life. I need somebody to raise your voice and give God a praise. Because he took his treasure and he put it in your messed up world. And now you're anointed to preach. And you're anointed to be a wife. And you're anointed to be a husband. And you're anointed to be a songster. And you're anointed to be a healer. I need some anointed folk to lift up your voice and give God the best shout. Oh, oh, that ain't good enough. I, I need somebody that know who they really are. But because I know who I really am, I'm able to see who he really is. Because what kind of God would use me? Give him a shout of praise. I said give him a shout of praise. Woo. My God. My. So, y'all gonna have to come back next week for the rest. But if I had a church, I bet they'd understand what God is trying to say. When he said we have this treasure and we put it in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power might be of God and not of us. And for this reason, I look hard pressed, but I'm not crushed. For this reason, I look perplexed, but I'm not in despair. I look persecuted, but I'm not forsaken. I look struck down, but I'm not destroyed. I look like I'm broke, but I'm really rich. I look like I'm down, but I'm really up. I look like I'm hurt, but I'm really healed. I wish somebody raise your voice and give God a shout. Somebody give God a praise. I need somebody to open up your mouth and give God the kind of glory that he deserves in this place. Because when I should be messed up, I'm fixed up. When I should be broken down, I'm put back together. When I should be locked up, I'm still free. What kind of God? I wish somebody raise your voice 
and give God the praise. He traded off my sickness and gave me wholeness. He traded off my sorrow and gave me joy. He traded off my heavy heart and gave me gladness. My weeping endured for a night, but my joy came in the morning. Somebody shout, trade it out, trade it out. Trade my brokenness for your wholeness. Trade my messed up for your put together. Trade my way with thoughts for your wisdom and strategy. I need somebody to lift your voice and give God a praise for the trade-off. Trading it off, trading it off, trading it off. I need you to shake three people's hands. Say, I'm trading it off. I'm trading it off. I'm trading it off. I'm trading off. I'm not going to be sick another day in my trading it off. I'm not going to be angry. I'm giving them back angry. I'm giving them back abandoned. I'm giving them back frustrated. I'm giving them back hurt. I'm giving them back unforgiveness. I'm giving them back mad. I'm giving them back. I need somebody that's trading it back to raise your voice and give God a shout of praise. Yes! I said give him a shout of praise. Give him a worship like you're trading off my sickness for his healing. Your hurt for his joy. Your tears for his happiness. Where my traitors at? Make some noise in this house. Tell your neighbor I'm trading it off. I'm trading it off. Tell your neighbor I'm trading it off. I'm trading the north. Tell him I'm trading it off. I'm trading it off. I'm too anointed to be this man. I'm too anointed to be this inept. I'm too anointed to be this slowful. I'm too anointed to be this lazy. Somebody shout, I'm trading it off. I'm trading it off. I'm trading it off. You got too many ideas to sit on. You gotta trade it, trade it, trade it, trade it, trade it, trade it. Somebody ought to raise your voice and give God your best praise. You can have my quit, devil, because I'm not quitting. You can have my give up because I'm not giving up. I'm trading. I'm trading it. I'm trading it. I'm trading it. You thought I was going to be quiet. The devil is a lie. Somebody done told you wrong, devil. The Lord is my life and my salvation. about 15 seconds to give God the best shout you can. You got 15 seconds to bless the Lord with everything you got right now. time the devil try to bring it back up you can't have that yep that was who I was last year uh, no that was 10 years ago I ain't that no more nope don't try to make me do that again I fell for that three years ago that almost messed up my marriage you can have that back that almost had me in bankruptcy court you can have that took my sanity you can have it back somebody shout trade off some of the stuff that he's willing to trade off. 
He said, I spent so much of my life just trying to, this is Paul. He said, I spent so much of my, my ministry and walking with God, doing my best to make y'all be impressed with me. He said, but I couldn't transform your life. And I couldn't make you think differently about your past. And I couldn't, I wasn't gifted enough to make you forgive yourself. And I wasn't homiletically sound enough to make you rethink your past and your thoughts and the way you do your life. He said, every time I sent you a letter, you sent it back to me. He said, no trade-off. And then they fussed at Paul. Paul fussed back at them. And they said, I can have a fussing match in the world. I don't come to church to have a fussing match. I don't come to church to be in trauma. I don't come to church for that tension. He said, y'all can have the fussing. Wait, 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 wait. He said, I'm, I'm going about this the wrong way. He said, this thing really isn't about me. It's really about him. And I was sent to you to preach. To preach him, not to preach me. And I threw my clergy collar on the ground, and I threw my leadership on the ground, and I threw how many years I'd been in the church on the ground. And I, and I was missing the fact that if anybody's life is going to be shifted, transformed, healed, blessed, delivered, it's going to be because of what the Savior came, not because of how well I preached So what I meant to tell you is that this person, Jesus, that you're a little bit indifferent about right now, he is the glory of God. He is the only way we can see God. He is to us understood as the only begotten son that if we believe on him, we should not perish but have everlasting life. He said that's the only way we can understand him. So we beheld him as as the glory, the glory of the only begotten. We beheld, beheld means we grabbed him, we understood him, we was able to touch him. That's how we got a hold of him. He said, and sometimes if that's the only way you can get God, he said, and I'll meet you where you are. He said, but then, I also want you to know the next part of this story, that the greatness of God is not just who you beheld, but in who's beholding you. It's not just in what you held, but in who's holding you. And I put him inside of you. He said, and that's why every time you turn around, you got a victory when you should be losing. That's why every time you fall, you land on your feet. He said, every time you cry, you end up smiling. Every time you don't understand, you realize you never really needed to understand. <laughs> Am I preaching to anybody? He said, so what, what I want you to do is I want you to trade off. He said, all the hurt, all the anger, all the discontent. He said, just trade it off. He said, because the excellency is of God, not, not of man. So the writer said, let the poor say they're rich, and let the weak say they're strong. Because of what? like that. You really don't get that excited. What happened today? I, I made some transactions. What, what has gotten me excited is that I've been making transactions over the last 